uh, starting our Easter series here at Emmanuel today, and that seems kind of weird to say that it's already time for Easter, and so I'm, I'm really excited about all that's going to happen here on Easter Sunday. We are going to, uh, we're going to, instead of having our normal small group time, we're going to feed everybody breakfast, and so we've talked to the guys who do that. If you uh, showed up today for men's breakfast and you know how that feels, you know that warm, fuzzy feeling that you get when you're eating uh, somebody's biscuits and gravy that you didn't have to make yourself. And so we'll do that Easter Sunday morning. We're also going to have like a little uh, photo opportunity for you and your family to take your, photo, your family photos, and we'll give you that digital image for free. That's just going to be some things that are going to happen around here. Super excited about Easter and all that's going to happen, but I'm just as excited about this week and next week leading up to Easter and all that we're going to talk about. We've been looking at uh, and I've been praying through this idea of, of our, our title, the Sacrificing the Sacred. And I believe that this, uh, this sermon series is going to be probably the most in your face and the hardest um, kind of to preach really and hardest to listen to uh, series that we've done in a while because it, it has a lot to do with what we hold valuable and what we say is important to us and, and really holding ourselves accountable to what we say. And so as we begin to get into this, I think the very first uh, thing that we have to think about is when we think about the word sacred, what comes to mind? Is it places or uh, maybe even uh, people or things or, you know, hopefully God is in that equation somewhere. Uh, maybe ideals or beliefs that you hold are sacred thoughts. I, I did some, uh, some research this last week about some sacred places uh, and there's some of them that you just automatically think. Uh, Jerusalem is, is one of the top sacred places that are listed. Uh, Mount Sinai. And it's interesting because that's on there, but there's two different locations possibly for Mount Sinai. depends on which camp you kind of fall into. So I don't know if they're both sacred or if just the, the thought of Mount Sinai is sacred. Um, there's a place in the south of France. I'm not even going to try to pronounce it because it's in French and I don't know French. But there's a place in the south of France where um, this 14-year-old girl said that the Virgin Mary appealed, appeared to her 18 times. And now if you look at it online, it's like a, like a super fancy strip mall. I mean, there's just like all these lights and all, like old, all this gold overlay, and it's really kind of incredible place. But that's a sacred place now. People go and visit that place all the time. There's places like um, Mecca in Saudi Arabia, which is where the prophet Muhammad was born. Uh, there's places like, uh, there's a really famous tree where Buddha found his enlightenment, that he was sitting underneath this tree, and that's a, that's a sacred place to some people. Vatican City is a sacred place to some people. That's where the Pope lives and all the incredible things. If you watch anything about Vatican City, it's kind of crazy and wild. And, and so that's sacred place to over a billion Catholics, right? Um, there's places, and I, I looked up, there's this place in Guatemala. It's this lake uh, and and there's to be all these like ritualistic worship of these Mayan gods that happen. And there's apparently like a, a submerged city at the bottom of the lake. It's the it's the deepest lake in Guatemala. And I'm reading about it. And it talks about how it's surrounded by three volcanoes. And I went, I've, I've been on this lake. 
And like in 2000 or 1997, 1998, I went to Guatemala for 10 days and stayed in a little village outside on the bank of this lake that they're talking about as one of the most sacred places in the world. And I, I rode across the lake on a boat to go to the other side to go buy some cheap stuff to take back home with us from souvenir shopping. And I was going, I was in a very sacred place. Didn't even know it, right? And as I read it, I just thought, mm, that's, I, don't want, I don't want anything to do with that place anymore. It's just this weird thought that all this like, pagan worship is surrounding it and I was just hanging out there for like 10 days as a 20 something year old guy who had no clue about anything and I was just happy to be talking about Jesus to people right and so we read through these things and we have all this stuff there was this place I think I got a picture of it up on the screen uh, in Boston this is the this is mother this is how they say it it's Queen Mary Queen of the Universe that's what it is Mary Queen of the Universe this is a statue in uh, in Boston, and we went there when we were there last summer. Uh, that's an actual church that meets in the bottom part of this, and that is a 40-foot-tall uh, statue of the Virgin Mary standing on top of a globe signifying her dominance over the universe. And I was like, okay. And so Jason, our, our, uh, our pastor up there, said, you guys, listen, I've been here, and, and there'll, there'll be people who are crawling up those steps and crying and weeping and praying to the Virgin Mary statue. And I'm like, dude, what do you do? He said, I just kind of sit back. He said, because it's like, it's like a big no-no to go up here and talk about all this stuff. He said, but I, I'm just praying for him. He said, it's just the most crazy thing in the world because this is a sacred place to them. And so here's what I realized as I kind of went through a lot of these. The definition of sacred and, and what is a sacred place really depends on the individual, right? Because I could care less about where Muhammad was born. I could care less what tree that Buddha sat underneath. I, the only thing I was thinking about when I was on that lake in Guatemala was, man, it'd be really cool to wakeboard here because the water's really calm. And now, like, I have this mental vision of, like, cutting and the water spraying up and, like, all these little ghosts going, ooh, coming up out of the water. I don't know if that's going to happen or not. But that's what I think, think about now. And so that, those places are not sacred to me. But we have some things that I think that, uh, if we were to kind of define, that would become kind of things that we would all agree on saying, yes, they are sacred. So let's do this. Let's define the word sacred. And this is straight out of uh, the Webster's Dictionary. This is what it says. It says, sacred is to be set apart for the service or worship of a deity and highly valued and important. And so by its definition, something that's sacred is set apart for God and it's viewed as highly important. Now, I believe that in our context, our Sunday morning church crowd context, we can probably define and agree on some things that are sacred. So I've got three of them. <coughs> Number one is the Word. We can all say that the Word is sacred. It's availability to our lives, the fact that we can read it whenever we want, its pertinence, its relevance, its applicability, the fact that God wrote it using human authors to write down his revelation to man is this incredible thing that we have that is sacred. Now don't don't miss this. The words on this page are sacred. Um, my my Bible, if you get close enough, you realize that mine is held together by duct tape. And it's got notes that I've written in it. And I believe that you should write in your Bible. I'm a fan of that. Highlight, underline, write. But don't ever put down what you write as just as important as what God wrote, right? What his word said is should be so sacred in our life, so important to us that we hold that on a different plane. That it is that, is that highly 
valued and set apart for God. The second thing I have in my notes is the church. Not the physical building, although we, we keep our physical building in the church with reverence and we take care of it and we, and we try to make it available to as many people as we can. The church, the gathering of like-minded people, like-minded faith, like faith people who, who are trying to do everything to lean and learn and to do life together. And the Bible says in Hebrews chapter 10 to spur one another on to love and good deeds. That church, the gathering of the body of Christ is, is so sacred and should be so important that when we gather together here on Sunday mornings, that we are not only just praying for our church, but we are praying for the church, right? That when we gather, we're praying for not just the church that meets here in Warren, Arkansas, but we're praying for the church that meets in Boston. We're praying for the church that meets in uh, Kenya. We're praying for the church that meets in uh, persecuted China. We're, we're praying for the general church saying that God would do something incredible in her that they would spark a revival in our hearts, that we would be able to live differently and change the world through the church. The third thing that I think is sacred is service. Now, don't, don't misunderstand. I'm not talking about programmatic church service, but I'm talking about serving, being the hands and feet of Christ, interacting with people, introducing the gospel to people. Jesus says to look after the orphans and the widows and to do this with a, you know, with a cheerful heart. We should be able to be able to do all those things. A really cool passage of Scripture in Isaiah chapter 58 says this, If you do away with the yoke of oppression, with the pointing of finger and malicious talk, and if you spend yourselves in behalf of the hungry and satisfy the needs of the oppressed, then your light will rise in the darkness and your night will become like the noon day. That's, that's service, spending ourselves on behalf of others. These three things, the Word, the church, and service, I believe are so sacred and should be so set apart, and we all can agree that those things are, and we treat them like that. And so here's my only question from this morning. Why, in all that we do in the course of our lives, are these the things that are the most negotiable? If we say they are sacred, if we say they are important, if we say they are set apart and highly valued, then why are these the things that if we're going to cut something, they are the ones that get cut? If they're the things, if there's something that's going to have to go without, these are the things that we choose to go without. We say things, well, we woke up late. I had a lot to do. I didn't have time to read the word today. Or I've just got a lot going on. I need to take a break. It's not a big deal. I'm going to miss church this week. Or I'm involved in way too many things. I can't do all of this and church stuff too. So I'll just not do the church stuff. Consistently and repetitively, we sacrifice what we say is most important in our lives and the things that we say that we hold as sacred for convenience and for selfishness and for ease and for leisure. This Easter series, the sacrificing the sacred, we will look at the sacrifice of Jesus on the cross. We will look at what all he has done for us. But we're also going to look at how we consistently make excuses we give up on, we do not participate in, we opt out of and refuse to make priority in our lives. We are sacrificing the sacred in pursuit of the temporary. We are we are. We are sacrificing what we say is most important because it's easier and we've got other things to do. And the sad fact is, church, I believe, doesn't even face us.
who say things like, it's not hurting anybody. I'm okay. Jesus still loves me. It's not that big of a deal. Well, I say, tell that. <coughs> tell that to the hundreds of Christians who die today because of their faith. Tell that to the groups of 30 to 50 who huddle in a darkened room along, around us, a low wattage light bulb, um, and pull out of their pocket a scrap of Scripture that's been wadded up, and they fold it out and press it firm and read it in hushed voices because they're afraid that someone's going to bust through the door and shoot first and ask questions later. Ask that to the people who live in Gunzhou, China, who literally right now, the city, the city is paying people what is equivalent to us $1,500 a person that they turn in their neighbors and their friends for illegal religious activity because they are worshiping God. And their neighbors call and report them to the police and the police come and they throw them in jail and that person gets a $1,500 check. You tell that, that it's not a big deal, that it's, no, it's of no consequence, that, that we can hold things that are, that are so loosely in our hands, but we say they're so important. You say that to the, to the family members who have been excommunicated because they've grown up in a Muslim home and they've grown up in an Islamic faith, and when they have an encounter with Jesus and it changes their life forever, their families completely cut them off and kick them out and say, we want absolutely nothing to do with you. Here's the problem, church. We've gotten so comfortable in, in, our, in our realm and our understanding of what church is that we don't understand that what we hold as sacred is not what we say is sacred. What we hold as sacred is our wants and our desires and our schedules and our whatever. But all the time we like to say, well, no, it's the church and it's the word and it's service. It's everything to do with God. But when all reality comes, those are the things that we sacrifice and we continue to do what we want to do. It's a big deal and it's something that we have to change. This morning, I want to look at a passage of Scripture that speaks to this, I believe, this very issue, something that you've probably read a thousand times. You could probably even recite it if we ask you to, but I believe we read it and we don't see a bigger and deeper meaning to it. Somebody turn to Romans chapter 12, verse 1. This is one that we all know, <coughs> one that we are all relatively familiar with. Romans 12, 1 says this, Therefore, I urge you, brothers... In view of God's mercy to offer your bodies as living sacrifices, holy and pleasing to God, this is your spiritual act of worship. We know this, right? We were taught this when we were young. Maybe some of you even have this underlined or highlighted in your Bible. This is something that we are familiar with on a, on a relatively loose basis, but we've never really stopped and looked at what it means. And we can't really get into it until we realize what the very first word is for. I was taught this as a young age, and I just teach you this. This is cheesy, and it's corny, and you can put it down as a dad joke. But whenever you are reading Scripture, and you read a therefore, you got to find out what it's there for. Okay, so that means you go backwards and read. Why is he saying therefore? So let's go back four verses in the chapter 11. Remember, chapter and verses were not around until about the 1600s. So this is all one continual letter. Don't get broken up by chapters because that's not how God wrote it down, okay? That's not how Paul wrote this letter. He just wrote a letter. Go back four. It says this. Oh, this is a poem. This is a poem that's in a form like of a hymn, like if we were to sing a hymn, but this is Paul writing this poem now. Oh, the depth 
of the riches of the wisdom and knowledge of God. How unsearchable His judgments and His paths beyond tracing out. Who has known the mind of the Lord? Or who has been His counselor? Who has ever given to God that God should repay Him? For from Him and through Him and to Him are all things. To Him be the glory forever. Amen. Can you, can you hear what He's saying? While all these things that we pertain to Him are sacred, the emotion of the longing of His soul when He's writing this down, who has known God? Who has, who's known God that He could ever even tell Him anything? Who has given Him anything as if God owes Him anything in return? I love that last part. From, from Him and through Him and to Him are all things. We talk about Job a lot because I love the story of Job. And remember, Job starts asking all these kind of metaphysical, like uh, big universal galactic questions of why, why, why. And finally, God has enough. And about Job 38, I think, uh, God speaks for the very first time. And he looks at Job and he says, brace yourself like a man for now I will question you and you will answer me. Where were you when I laid the foundations of the earth? Where were you when I spread the stars in the sky? Surely you know. Surely you have an answer. And he goes on for like four chapters. He's just going off about how dare you ask questions to me when I was the one who put all this in motion. How could you ever think that you could question me when I have all these things in line and you had nothing to do with it? And at the end of it, Job says, I am I am ashamed. I sit in dust and ashes because I spoke about things that I had no knowledge of. And all of a sudden you have this incredible understanding of the bigness of God and the smallness of us. And this poem that Paul writes down is just like, who, who has ever counseled God as though God needed counsel? Who has ever given anything to Him as though God should repay us? But therefore... In light of all this, for from Him and through Him and to Him belong all things. Therefore, I urge you, brothers, in view of God's mercy, offer yourselves as living sacrifices, holy and pleasing to God. This is your spiritual act of worship. When you read it in that context, we go, okay. And so let's just take this and let's kind of just break this down. I urge you, brothers, in view of God's mercy and view of the mercy that he gives us so undeserved so unworthy are we because all things are his and he chooses to give us mercy listen when church is an option and bible study is extra you've overlooked mercy you've been given when you're, when you're too busy or you've got too much going on that you couldn't possibly attend or be involved or give or sacrifice or serve, then your focus is inward and not upward and you're taking mercy for granted and you've forgotten that from Him and through Him and to Him are all things. And what we consistently do is say, oh, I, just, I mean, it's important, but I just can't. I know I should, but I'm not going to. I urge you, brothers, in view of God's mercy, if we all stopped and just thought about the mercy that has been given to us and what we have been given that we do not deserve, why would we not give everything to Him that we could? Why? How could we ever live as though these things are not sacred? To offer your bodies as living sacrifices. What are we supposed to sacrifice here? The, the things that we hold sacred? No, we're supposed to sacrifice ourselves. 
our bodies. When's the last time you sacrificed anything for God? When's the last time that you went without so that you could give to Him? When's the last time that you did not participate in something because it stood in direct opposition to your commitment to church and to God? When's the last time that you put your phone down and you picked up your Bible? When's the last time that you said, I'm not worried about what's going on here, I'm worried about what's going on here. And you go, well now Matt, how am I supposed to keep up with what's going on in Becky's life if I don't look about her timeline and see those three videos about her cat? It does not matter. We spend more time lifting. I don't know if you've got an iPhone. I'm not promoting anything. I don't have mine in my pocket. I'm not promoting anything. But there's this little new feature that gives you a screen time report every week. Some of y'all got feeling guilty and turned that sucker off. I don't know how much time I spent on my phone. I'm just going to turn that off. But listen. When you compare how much you're on that and the frivolousness of that to how much time you actually spend in the Word, how much time you spend praying, how much time you actually spend doing something that matters. Church, what we say is important is not important. What we say is most important in our life is negotiable. This is the last time you sacrificed anything. It says we are to offer our bodies, our lives, our decisions, our finances, our our comfort, our leisure, our wants, our desires, and sacrifice that to Him. And we've got it so backwards because we sacrifice His wants and His desires and His will and His, His want for our life and His plan for our life. And we sacrifice all that. Because that's what we, to get what we want. And I'm telling you, it's so messed up. It's so backwards in how we are to live life. He says, offer your bodies as living sacrifices, holy and pleasing to God. Think about your Old Testament sacrifice. You know, we can go all the way back to uh, when this was all set up and, and you know, we started doing these animal things and you go read through Leviticus and it gets real uh, interesting and kind of uh, wordy. But here's what would happen. For the Israelites not forbidden to sacrifice something that was of defect. What were they supposed to sacrifice? The best of the best. They were supposed to bring the, the animal without defect or without failure, without uh, you could not bring a, a, a lame or a blind or a diseased animal to sacrifice to God because God said, I want your best. And I believe that's exactly what we're supposed to sacrifice to Him as well when He says, offer your bodies as living sacrifice as holy and pleasing to Him. Is that we don't just offer Him the leftovers that we've got. We offer Him our very best. And don't miss what I'm saying. I'm not saying this. If you've made mistakes or if you've got blemishes on your spiritual record or if you've got things in your past that you go, gosh, I don't know that I could ever really offer myself to God because I'm not a good person. That's not what I'm saying. God uses a lot of not good people, hello, one of them, to accomplish what he wants done. But what he does say is he says, you bring me your very best effort. You bring me everything that you've got in your life. You bring me your very best of everything and I will make it holy and acceptable. Because what we end up doing is we just say, well, I've got all this other stuff going on, so I'm going to give God my leftovers. And we give Him the tail end of the things that we've got going on in our life, and we give Him the last five minutes before we fall asleep, and we give Him the first ten minutes before we have to start yelling at our kids, and we do all this kind of stuff just to kind of appease God. But that's not acceptable. That's not holy. That's not the first. 
That's not our best. And we give our best a million other things while all the time we're saying, oh, this is really important and it's not because we're not living like it's important. The most important thing. If you were reading that in the original language, instead of holy and acceptable, it would have, it would have better been translated to say holy, the most holy thing. And that's incredible because when we think about the things that take the place of the things that you're that you know right now, this has kind of superseded my desire for God. This has kind of uh, kind of trumped what I've put in my life. This is now kind of the most important thing. Whatever that thing is, that's what you're supposed to sacrifice. And listen, it could be relationships, and it could be finances, it could be purchases, it could be retirement, it could be it could be activities, it could be downtime, it could be leisure, it could be whatever you think it is. Whatever it is, if it's more important to God, God says sacrifice that, because that's what you're holding as most important. Anything else is unacceptable. It's not pleasing to him. The last part, and don't miss this, this is really cool. Offer your bodies as living sacrifices, holy and acceptable to God. This is your spiritual act of worship. This sacrifice of yourself to him, your very best, this is worship, right? Now, remember what our definition of sacred was? Our definition of sacred is set apart for the service or worship of a deity. See, when we live our lives like we are continually sacrificing what we want for Him, then we become sacred because we become worship. Our lives, who we are, our very being, become set apart for worship, which means we become Sacred. This is incredible. Now listen, there's this little word in here that says, this is your spiritual act of worship. Don't, don't get caught up on this because sometimes we think, well, of course it's spiritual. We're kind of in this metaphysical realm of, of spirituality. The better word for that, and your version may even say this, is reasonable act of worship. This is reasonable. This makes sense. This is logical in light of all that he's done for us and view of God's mercy, this makes sense. Life like this makes sense when you sacrifice all that you want for all that he is and you realize that everything is from him and through him and to him and you go, okay, God, I'm going to just live my life like that's reality and like that's truth. That makes sense. That's reasonable worship. That's, that's where God goes, yeah, that, that totally makes sense to me. That's how we're supposed to live in response to what he's done. Now listen to this, and I'm going to be done. This is incredible. In light of all this, with the knowledge that a reasonable response of worship is to live sacrificially and to keep things that we hold sacred as sacred, then how? How can we come to church and the only thing that we discuss when it's over is whether we liked it or not? When did church become about what we liked? And listen, we've all been guilty of it, right? I liked that song. I didn't like that song. I like that message. I don't like that message. I liked worship. We stood too long. It's hot in here. I was bored to death. Because it becomes about what we want. Listen to me. This is a hard truth. And you mean write it down. You may not like me after I save it. If you're here for entertainment or comfort, you're in the wrong place. That's not what church is about. And if we say that we live our lives as a sacrifice to God, then how dare we come here looking to be entertained? 
Because that's not what it's about. When you have the opportunity to worship a God who loves you, who gives your life meaning and purpose and sent his only son to take your place on the cross so that your sin could be paid in full through who by faith you believe will eternally save your soul and rescue you from the punishment that you deserve and allow you to dwell with him forever. And you have the opportunity to worship him and you're more concerned about how many songs or what songs that we sing. Let me just tell you something that when your heart is willing to worship, you will worship to anything. It does not matter. How can we, when the Word of God is opened and read and proclaimed and taught, and we listen and listen? You, you may not like the way I preach. You may not like the way I do sermon series. That's okay. I understand that. But when truth is preached, and you're more concerned about the style of the presentation, then you're not hearing the Word. The Word has the power to transform lives. A Word holds truth. The Bible says the Word never returns void. That means that when it's read and when it's proclaimed, that it does something. It changes something inside of our hearts. It changes something inside of our lives. How could we at any point be entertained by something that's supposed to wreck us? Because the Word of God is not about entertainment. And listen, you can walk away and go, man, that was a good sermon. Or, oh, that was not a good sermon. I don't care. It's not about whether we liked it or not. It's about whether you learned it or not. It's about whether you got it. And listen, church, if we continue to treat these sacred things as though they're not sacred, as though they are somehow negotiable, what excuse will you give God when you meet Him face to face? What could you ever possibly say to him that would in any way justify your actions, your lack of priority, or your indifference to the most important things? We are consistently sacrificing the sacred on the altar of convenience and selfishness and leisure. In church, it's time for it to stop. If we're going to say it's important, if you're going to if you're going to stand on your box and say that these things matter most, then it's time that we live like they matter most. And I know, I know I'm preaching to a Sunday morning crowd. And I know that you're here. But the reality is a lot of us being here this morning was negotiable. Listen, I know the weather. I know uh, there's a million circumstances. We've got life. We've got things that are going on. But if we say it's important, then we have to make it important. If we say that we set these things apart for worship and that our lives are when they are reflected in this word, our lives become sacred and set apart for worship. Church, we've got to stop sacrificing these things. We've got to stop acting like they're negotiable. So here's what I'm going to ask you to do. I'm going to ask you to stand and bow your head. TJ's going to come and we're going to pray. And this is an opportunity. Listen, this morning... This is an opportunity for you to maybe even make a decision about Jesus. I don't know where you are in your spiritual journey. I don't know what you've encountered with Christ. If you have questions about that, I'd love to answer that. It's the whole point of why we do what we do. But for the majority of us who maybe have grown up in church and maybe know all these things and we've heard all these things, maybe a lot of us this morning need to ask for forgiveness. We need to be real 
with God, maybe for the first time in a long time, and say, you know what, God, I've been sacrificing things that I say are sacred. And I've been doing a whole lot of this and not a whole lot of living it. Don't think ever we're going to get to heaven and God's going to go, you know what, you said a lot of really good things. I think He's going to look at us and say, this is how you lived your life. And this is what you valued. And this is what you made important. And a lot of us, we've got some things in the wrong spot. We need to confess and we need to ask for forgiveness. If you need to ask questions about our church, or if you need to ask questions about how to do that and what the next step is, we'd love to talk to you. I'd love to talk to you. I'll be down front. Let me pray. You come as I pray. Father, I love you and I thank you for today. And God, the, the in-your-face kind of moment of that what we say is important has to be important because if we don't make it important, then it's not. And the reality is, Father, we've got a lot of things that try to compete with you. And too often, God, too often we bend to those things. Father, if, if the Word is important, God, make it alive in our heart. Give us a desire to be in it, and not just read it to check off a box, but, Father, to really study it and to find out what it means and learn how to apply it. God, if the church is important and the body of believers is important, then God, let us make no excuse to not be here, to not be encouraged, to not be taught, to not be a student of Your Word, to not be uh, someone that somebody can find comfort in, that we're supposed to comfort each other as You have comforted us. Father, that's Scripture. God, if service is sacred, then nothing should keep us from being your hands and feet. Everything that we do should be done with all of our strength and all of our might. God, it's time for the excuses to stop. Help us to stop making them. Forgive us, Father, of all the things that we've sacrificed for ourselves. All the while, ignoring your sacrifice for us. We ask all these things in Jesus' name. This is your moment to come. TJ will sing. Don't miss an opportunity to respond. Hey, this is Matt Overall. I'm the pastor here at Emmanuel Baptist Church. Just want to say thanks so much for watching our services, whether through our television ministry or our online ministry. We appreciate you so much being a part of Emmanuel Baptist Church, and we'd love to have you come and join our worship service. Uh, Sunday morning service starts at 10.30. Our small groups start at 9.30. And we'd love to have you be a part of it. We've got a lot of different ministries that happen at Emmanuel, from our children and youth that's focused on Wednesday nights to our uh, women's Bible studies that happen throughout the week. We'd love to have you be a part of everything that's going on here at Emmanuel. Thanks for watching.